Greetings, friends. It's Monday, October 31st. It's Halloween. Hope everyone has a safe trick-or-treating uh, experience this evening. Uh, watch out for um, when you're giving fentanyl to children. Make sure that you disguise it as candy. Uh, so we're here in South Beach, Miami. Uh, we closed out our fall tour last night in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, it went great. I want to thank everyone who came out and see us. And I'd like to thank uh, Stavi Baby and Donzi, the great band Donzi, who opened for us last night. Please check out their music. Well, we are, you know, we're, we, we've been, we've been uh, road warriors on tour. So as promised in an earlier episode, we are calling upon you, the listeners, to fill us out, fill out about an hour here today. <laughs> so we, we, have, we have opened it up to your questions and queries to, you know, three of the greatest minds of our generation. And uh, to begin, to begin, we got, a, we got a, lot, a lot of calls, a lot of good questions, so thanks everyone who submitted. But I'd like to discuss some overall trends in the questions we got because we got a lot of questions along the same lines, and I think maybe we could, you know, more, most efficiently answer a lot of questions by outlining some of the major trends in the calls we received. I would like to just say uh, thank you to everyone who submitted. You did a great job of following instructions. I was genuinely impressed about how non-irritating most of the questions were. Good job listening to directions. I'm proud of you all. Yeah. You, know, you, guys, you guys came through for us. So, okay, first overall trend of the questions that were submitted. Big shout out to the nation of Scotland and all of our Scottish listeners. I don't know if we've uh, selected any of your calls, but we always enjoy hearing from you, even if we can't understand what the fuck you're saying. <laughs> I mean, the Scottish accent is one of the coolest accents in the world, but um, you, you, you mad cunts up there, you have a great way of talking. We may not understand you, <laughs> but at least you're also hideous, and you were essentially the overseers to the plantation that was the British Empire. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, shout out Scotland, and hey, if any of our Scottish listeners, if any of you are friends with Limmy, Hit, hit, hit him up because I would love to get Lemmy on the show. Dune back down, double dune. <laughs> um, and then adjacent to Scotland is, of course, all of our wonderful Canadian fans. Who sound stupid as shit <laughs> and uh, uh, embarrassing. Your accent is ridiculous. Stop it. Scottish accent, cool. Canadian accent, not so much. That's what the Atlantic Ocean will do for you. <laughs> uh, but shout out to our Canadian fans. Look, nothing is on the books yet, but speaking for myself personally, my touring goal in 2023 is to finally do a Chapo Canada tour that goes from Montreal to Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, uh, Calgary, Alberta, you know, somewhere in Alberta. We got to you know, support the Wexit movement. Uh, but I would none, love to none of it. We'll do show none of it. <laughs> Nova Scotia, maybe. No, no, definitely Montreal, Toronto, one city in the, the middle of Canada and Vancouver. That, that's my dream for uh, sometime in 2023. Can't, not making any promises, but I would love to tour Canada sometime in the near future. Next up, uh, th this was unexpected, but we got a lot of questions about Cormac McCarthy and the novel Blood Meridian. <laughs> Probably my favorite, one of my favorite novels ever written. Um, we may have to do a Chapo book club on that. So for everyone who asked uh, a question about Cormac McCarthy or Blood Meridian, I say to you this. The truth about the world is that anything is possible. Had you not seen it all from birth and thereby bled it of its strangeness, it would appear to you for what it is, a hat trick in a medicine show, a fever dream, a trance populate with chimeras having neither analog nor precedent, an itinerant carnival, a migratory tent show whose ultimate destination after many a pitch in many a mudded field is unspeakable and calamitous beyond reckoning. 
Uh, next up in the overall trends of the questions, thank you to the uh, the black listeners of Chapo who have kindly called in to support us, but have also plaintively asked us to have more guests on. Uh, this is something to work on. I can I can I can only say uh, yes. I am I am terminally white, and as is my uh, social circle for the most part. But you know, this is something that I'm aware of, and I just never want to uh, appear patronizing or only having um, minority guests on to talk about minority issues or you know things like that. But yes, we hear you, we see you, you are seen. We will do better. I want I want to add a retort to that. <laughs> um, I don't like having any guests on. It's annoying to email people. You have to email up to upwards of four people. You, you it, it takes too long to schedule things. Uh, there should just be no guests. <laughs> and that includes people of all races. Um, another, another thing we noticed is a uh, big shout out to all of our trans listeners as well. We have uh, we have a, we have a lot of trans listeners, and uh, I just gotta say, uh, just just sending love to you. I've, I've many many of you have contacted me to uh, talk about what the show means to you, and you know I want to say I, I think that I think that's cool, and we will we will always love our trans listeners. Uh, we got a lot of questions about China. Uh, where it's going, where our relationship is going, and will there be a conflict? Can there be a transfer of hegemony? And will we start World War III over graphics cards? To this, I simply must plead a very limited base of knowledge. I don't know almost anything about China. I think it's very hard to get reliable news about China in the Western press or the, the Chinese media, for that matter. So I don't, I, I really uh, would be out of my depth talking about China, but look, I. China, it's 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 the, it's going to be the twenty first century. I don't know. We all we all better get used to it. Follow for followers of Matt's vlogs. You Matt, in the next few months, you want to take on a China book, right? Yeah, I want to read a book about China, and then I'll know everything. <laughs> One, One book. book, and that'll take care of the whole thing, and then I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. No, I have no idea. Uh, the thing about China is, wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> um, could I'd probably get arrested for most of the things I do. They're, um, you know, whether you're pro-China or anti-China, we definitely don't agree on life lifestyle choices, whether it's uh, gaming or probably the specific type of vape I have. But, you know, multipolar world is coming, whether you like it or not. Uh, will China's zero COVID policy pay off? Will the will the Western world be so bogged down by long COVID that we need double Vivans to get through the day? Who will win the productivity war? Will Ding come back? We'll find out. Uh, but, you know, if you're China or you're America or you're NATO or you're the EU, all I can hope for is a good game. Go Astros, <laughs> go Phillies. And you know what? It's going to come down to who wants it more. Mm -hmm. The thing is, when you want global hegemony, it just you have to extract more raw materials from the periphery than the other team. That's just what it comes down to. And finally, we got a few questions about the the promise and failure of the internet. Um, is there anything left of the promised potential for mass solidarity and creativity through democratized communication? Or is hyper-individualized discourse held the only possibility left of online? I would say it's way more the latter than the former. And this is something I've been thinking about recently. I think um, just the internet and technology, the promise of technology obviously hasn't materialized. Um, you know, there are things I like about the internet, but like it is, it is not led to more democracy or certain freedom of expression or anything like that. I, but not only that, I think the internet is getting worse. And I think things like meta and like all of these new debacles of just like losing, you know, 10 Apollo missions worth of money trying to create Wii bowling is just a cover <laughs> for the fact that um, the, the internet has plateaued. 
and it's not going to get any better. And things like AI and robots and VR and shit are mostly uh, chimeras that are marketing terms that are going to be used to inflate another bubble that's just like internet too. Um, so yeah, like I think the internet is getting shittier, not better. Uh, first of all, I don't think that you can... Since about 2012, I don't think you can quite uh, delineate the internet from the rest of culture. It's no longer a sequestered space. Uh, it just it ju- it just is a- a- everything now. It is all culture. All culture is affected by it. It affects all culture. Um, I do think that we sometimes get a blinkered view of things because we are on uh, sort of the third most used social media platform, which is also the most ephemeral, most reactive, and least creative. Um, the internet that like mass media consumers and politics sickos are on definitely sucks, and it is getting worse. That said, I do not know that the internet I was on in, say, 2005 was necessarily perfect. I, yes, I was there, but uh, nostalgia is a completely unreliable there were things that sucked there were things that were unfunny people still beat things into the ground but i do actually think that there is a huge amount of creativity and interesting things going on on the internet i never thought it could be a device for solidarity technology is never going to be the deus ex machina that uh causes mass politics necessarily but just as far as people doing interesting things i think youtube in the past three or four years uh, people are doing much more ambitious and creative and uh, impressive things than I ever saw uh, 15 years ago. It's not covered nearly as much as Twitter, despite having an exponentially larger user base. But I've seen amazing documentarians. Uh, I've seen the Gen Z equivalent of MST3K. I've seen all sorts of things. And I think I wish people wrote about it more because I do think it's a genuinely very encouraging cultural sign. It is cool in some place like YouTube, and I agree undercover, that you can have a whole ecosystem of people who are making their livelihoods doing media on something as niche as like winter camping and survivalism in Canada. That could be somebody's job and is providing millions of views and entertainment for something, and it is genuinely nice and neat. And there's a lot of bullshit on YouTube, but there's a lot of great stuff that would not be made or be able to be seen without the internet. So, I mean, there's there's some stuff there. A lot of stuff that I like on the on the internet. You know, a lot, a lot of my friends are there. Porno, we love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got, you know, internet pornography has gotten much better, much better. It just seems it's like it's this one step forward, two step back thing, or like every new like advance in like convenience, ease, or accessibility creates another problem. You know, like because like you know, just like yeah, like all the movies and TV shows are on the internet, but then you have to like subscribe to all the different like streaming services. And guess what? Not all of the movies are on the internet. I think the promise of the internet would be fulfilled if there are two websites. One is called Movies, the other is called TV. Both of those websites <laughs> contain every movie ever made and every TV show ever made. And then like the, they're, they're, and also, crucially, no autoplay trailers. Yeah, no, I agree with that. They can't do that though because that's how they that's how they fake their numbers of views. Right. Right. I mean, they count every autoplay like, "Oh, you don't, you watched it." Well, the the autoplay views and uh, meta, as Will was talking about earlier, go into an interesting, interesting series of thoughts about this period of the Internet, which I think is uh, equivalent to the 1970s. 
um, we're, we're, we're seeing the, uh, a bunch of technologies that are in their infancy and are the equivalent of like shitty at home 3d glasses or smell vision <laughs> all the things from the seventies that people made fun of in entertainment technology that later, you know, either got phased out or maybe they took one part of it that was interesting and made it into something else. Uh, in general, I think all media and entertainment is in an awkward period like that where, um, there, there are some ideas that could be potentially interesting, but both the people working on them are stupid and the technologies themselves are, n are nowhere near ready for public consumption. I think that a lot of the authors of the current internet, um, people assume they were a lot smarter than they were because they were people who, um, they were businessmen in a, almost, in a, you know, a zero interest rate environment while there was a historic overvaluing of equities. And now as things sort of return to, to mean, you know, we're, we're seeing Mark Zuckerberg wipe out $700 billion of value <laughs> in like a year and effectively having the salaries of almost all of his employees. Um, but I, I, I think that, um, the, again, there's still so many signs of promise and, you know, whether it's us doing it or something weird like a Belgian inventing uh, a good version of Meta or whatever or whatever happens. I do. I am still very encouraged by the amount of creativity and work ethic that I see in places, you know, that aren't Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. And I think I think there's more amazing things to come that I again, do not think will be politically transformative. Uh, there's also a lot of hot chicks on the internet. <laughs> That's true. That was not always the case. <laughs> it used to be if there was a girl on the internet, it was like, why are you only taking a picture of your eye? <laughs> Just kidding. That was everyone doing that. That's the that's what you do when you're 300 pounds and you don't want people to know. <laughs> All right. Should we transition to yeah, some questions? Let's go to listeners. All right. Let's do start with a nice, uh, easy over home plate one. This is from Billy J. If shit ever really hit the fan in terms of climate change in North America, uh, what do you think the inevitable takeover of Canada by the United States would look like? This is this is a great question. This is one you know I know I know Matt has considered, but you know Canada, it's just sitting there. Most of it, no people there, nothing, just just timber and natural resources. Plus roughly one half of one fourth of all the fresh water that's on the planet. That's right. We got, we need those great lakes. We need those great lakes. So if future climate disaster scenario, the capital of the United States moves from Washington, DC to Buffalo, New York, which will establish a beachhead for the American invasion of Canada. Yeah. And then, uh, Oh, you get an NFL team in Moose Jaw. It'll be great. <laughs> what would what would it look like if the U.S. took over Canada? I don't know. What was it like when InBev brought Budweiser? Did you notice anything? <laughs> Maybe change some logos a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Canada, Canada, Canada is practically America. Yeah. I mean, they started. There are now murders in Toronto solely because they want to be like one of our dilapidated inner cities, <laughs> not for any other economic or social reason. They just people in Toronto were like, drill music's cool. We should kill each other. That's the only <laughs> thing that happened. Um, I don't think I say like one thing that I think America taking over Canada that would provide a net benefit to Canadians is that we would absolutely get rid of this French language bullshit. 
Oh yeah, yeah no more Cobra Kai. Nice. The Cobra Kai, yeah. you better <laughs> shape up, motherfucker. No, this is America now. No one, you're not speaking French. Yeah, that's done for. No, that's done. That's over. Uh, everyone always thinks they're going to be the generation that gets rid of that weird hick <laughs> French, and <laughs> they always end up speaking it. So I think, I think the more likely scenario is that the entire Western Hemisphere is speaking that bizarre dialect uh, by the time of our deaths of natural causes. All right, next question. All right, this is from Olivia C. Hey, Chapo, first time, long time. Uh, as a trans woman, your recent discussion of young male social and sexual isolation got me thinking. Uh, could we as a society solve this problem by making it more socially acceptable for dudes to turn into chicks and let the whole squad hit? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Olivia. That question is yes. Um, you know what? I got to say, uh, not all incels are men. The femcel has risen. Soon, there will be cells in all sectors of American life. And, you know, you can, uh, no, no matter what happens, there will soon be old cells. There will be mom cells. There will be cousin cells. No demographic will be safe. Even, even people in community theater will not have sex with each other. Most popular video game will be free cell. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean... The, the, home, uh, the homies, you know, whether, whether you're trans or not, sometimes the homies just need to help out the homies. I mean, okay, um, what countries do we know of where it's, you know, more acceptable uh, for, you know, a group, let's say a group of male friends to fuck each other? That's a lot of countries <laughs> where it's like, okay, this isn't gay. We're just helping out our friend. But some of those countries are also very homophobic and yeah. transphobic. Um, so I don't know if that's... If whether it's transitioning or just, um, you know, a group of male friends fucking each other, whatever it is, I don't know if it always helps social conditions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually like uh, along, this, along this line of inquiry, uh, you know, what I was fascinated to learn the other day, uh, the European country with the highest percentage of uh, acceptance of, of trans people is a surprising one because like France, oh boy, they do not like trans people there. It's very low. Uh, England, way higher than you may think, despite what you see in the media. But you know, according to the statistic I saw, the European country with the highest level of acceptance of trans people is Spain. <laughs> I, not totally surprising, I think, though. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all right, next question. This is kind of a follow-up to this one, or at least in the same realm. Uh, this is from Johnny Z. Yeah, hey, can you guys tell me how to eat pussy? <laughs> Thanks. Bye. <laughs> well, well, this listener clearly needs to smoke more weed. <laughs> First problem. Uh, it's it's very simple. You uh, recite the hadiths with your tongue. Um, listener, the art of eating pussy is very similar to the art of Chinese calligraphy. You're you're, you're painting with a wet brush. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that it's kind of like jazz. It's about the notes that you don't play, and by that I mean it's about actually being good at pipes. So you don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, some some of us would prefer to, um, you know, get the whole did she climax or not out out of the equation before pipe gets being laid, so that you can enjoy laying pipe and not having to think about is this working or not. <laughs> yeah, women's sexuality, you know, people are like, oh, well, the female orgasm, the G spot, the clit, are they real? Are they not? Can we find them? We don't even know where to begin with it. It might as well be the ocean where we've only explored 5% of it. <laughs> what is a woman's favorite thing to masturbate to? Oh, my kind of ugly community college history professor who 
told me who, t- who told me that um i was five minutes late to four classes in a row um i that's the thing i've masturbated to for 17 years straight do i know why they do it no do you know do they know why they do it no so you know play it by ear because you're not going to figure it out um i would say don't approach um the act of cunnilingus like a golden retriever attacking a bowl of kibble oh you know, like you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta build you gotta build it up you can't go straight for the clit you know you gotta like uh take take your time you know then you know, don't take too much time though i mean the, the clit i mean like that's that's what's gonna get the job done but you can't just go go ham on that right away that is okay you want to talk about something on the internet that got better Ten years ago, the internet was filled with men in Wu-Tang Clan t-shirts who were always bragging about how much they loved eating pussy. And according to testimonials from several women uh, who I am friends with on a platonic basis, they've told me that those types of guys slobbered all over (laughs) and didn't do a damn thing. Yeah, and like the the guys who were like, yo, I love eating pussy. I eat pussy for hours, yo. It's like you're not doing the job right. Yeah, you're not doing the job that right. long. If it, if it takes longer than 10 or 15 minutes, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. Get in, get out. It's like the Navy SEALs, you know? Yeah. All the guys who say my dude now, <laughs> they were making fave star posts about how much they loved eating snatch and they did not make a single woman happy. I'm um, try out the asshole, too. It's great. <laughs> it uh, was like, oh, you know, it's like, do you remember that children's story where um, the husband lies to the wife about how much he loves lentil soup and the wife lies to the husband about how much she loves making it? Oh, they're right. both lying <laughs> to each other about how much, how happy it makes them. And then they realize, like, they're just doing it to make the other one happy because the husband pours the soup into his galoshes and the wife hates making it. That's kind of what eating pussy is like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, like, um, you know, to our heterosexual male listeners out there, there's a few of you, I understand. But look, just just take the pressure off of yourself. As long as you nut, it's a successful success. That's the actual experience, <laughs> yeah. okay? Don't, so don't, don't, the pressure's off you. You'll get more yelled at for not nutting than not making the woman nut. Next uh, question. <laughs> this is from somebody who identifies as gum worldwide. Okay. Okay. Hey, Chapo. I uh, just wanted to ask, how do you guys stay engaged in politics without just losing all hope? And um, what would you recommend for young people um, in order to cope with, you know, copious amounts of just overloading information on all cylinders at all times in every way, in every direction? Okay, I'll, I'll kick this one off. I'll, I'll give my, my semi-joking answer and then a semi-serious one. My semi-joking answer is like, you know, how do you imbibe um, uh, politics and culture? Like, how do you take on so much without being driven insane or resorting to despair? I truly think that even in the peaceful moments of one's day, that you should meditate upon being dead. Being ripped apart by arrows, rifles, and spears, you should come to regard yourself as already dead. And that is a way to just stay chill about everything, honestly. Uh, know, my, my semi-serious answer, though, is just like, the thing that stops you from feeling uh, despair or having some sort of information overload is having, uh, I think, like, you know, real people in your life, real interests, real responsibilities that um, sort of anchor you to um, your own life and not things that are, like, wildly out of your control or that, uh, you know, just appear as these kind of zephyrs that come across your, your Internet feed. And it's just also to, like, keep a sense of humor about everything. You know, like it's, it's a gallows humor, but I think it's, it's one of great importance for being able to, you know, just exist in reality. The things that are the worst are often the things that are the funniest. 
I mean, something that uh, helps me personally uh, is that um, I just I remember I remember conditions for the left in America being far worse, which that may seem unbelievable for people who are younger. But believe me, it did used to be a lot worse, a lot more grim and a lot more marginal. Um, I, I, there is no longer a singular exciting electoral goal like Bernie, uh, 2016 or 2020. We don't have that looming specter like we did in the interim years, this thing to be excited about, but there is, there, there are things to be optimistic about, whether it's organized labor or, um, the thing that no one should follow local politics. (laughs) Um, but, but, um, I, I think that despair comes from following things minutely, following things that are ephemeral and following them on a 24-hour cycle. If you want to stop despairing about things, stop following them to minute to minute. Um, unfollow every news thing on Twitter except for that one Chinese newspaper that posts <laughs> things like... Oh, the um, monkey with one hand that's yeah. taken care by that old that old uh, nun in a mo- like the you know sort of Shinto monastery or whatever. Yeah, that account doesn't post any news. It's all just like um, ele- elephant stares in amazement at beautiful waterfalls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good media. That's yeah, yeah that's good news. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but um, seriously, you should take somewhat of a longer view. Avoid the twenty four hour news cycle. Be informed, but read entire articles and uh, just don't think that you instantly have to have an opinion to take mm-hmm. or a final final idea or so don't definitely don't get a final solution for anything. <laughs> don't think of those. Uh, don't think you have to solve everything once you see it immediately. Give yourself a break and have things in your life that do not depend on whether, you know, Steve Wampum's eats Craig uh, Aldi's in the election. And, you know, like you could say it's nihilistic or one way or another, but you could also take solace in the very likely possibility that this is anything that will happen has already happened Mm -hmm. regardless of what Mm. you did or didn't do. But we have no choice but to act as though we do have a choice. Pretend to be surprised. Yeah. You know what the point of the game Dark Souls is? The, The point is, even if the world ends and people love talking about the world ending, why do we go to work if blah, 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 um, you know what? Guess what? Even if the world ends, even if somehow the first world pays the majority of the price for climate change, which it will not, nothing ever works out that fair. Um, you still got, you're still living your life. You're still you, and you you still have the same stupid bullshit you do. So I mean, you don't you don't get to get out of it. You have to figure out what your life means to you. I mean, the gift of self awareness and consciousness in this universe is both heaven and hell encapsulated together it's like the experiences that you have will determine the eternity that you spend by that i mean you know back to the alan moore episode not in any like afterlife kind of sense of it but just to understand that every human being that's ever existed on this planet has existed in a state of cascading disaster and apocalypse and it's true in our world today everything is so interconnected that the stakes are much higher but I just like, you know, don't be paralyzed by the, the, this fear that you may live through the apocalypse or you may die in the apocalypse because, you know, like that's kind of a little bit narcissistic. Everyone likes to think that they're going to be alive when the world fucking ends. Yeah, but you don't want to miss is, anything. Everyone yeah. has yeah, always FOMO. thought that. Yeah, it's FOMO. Everyone has always thought that whether they're religious or not because it's narcissism. Yes. And the thing is, when you die, it will be the end of the world. So you're yeah. going to get it no matter what. <laughs> yeah. All right. This one is from Eric A., Mayor of New York. <laughs> hey, what's up, y'all? I'm a weed breeder out in Portland and looking at maybe getting some Chris Matt 
Felix Amber strains going, crossbreeding some stuff that I have in house. Just wondering what y'all would like to have uh, your namesake under, effects, terpenes, etc. Anyway, looking forward to it. Later. If you name any strain of that <laughs> demon drug, that thing that is 400 times more potent than fentanyl after me, I will initiate a federal RICO lawsuit against you. <laughs> Just kidding. Name the thing closest to mids after me. <laughs> okay. This is, this is a great question, Eric Adams. For, for the, the Menachromans, that's strain of weed. Okay. I want you to, I want you to crossbreed. This is very important. It's got to be indica, and I want you to crossbreed the strongest strains of indica that you have that are usually named after desserts, uh, Girl Scout cookies, ice cream cake, things like that. Just make a dessert buffet, an ice cream sundae of indica strains that will be the strongest and most potent indica strain of all time, and that is the medical mindset weed strain. Uh, I will, I give, give, I'll, on the other side of it, I'll, I would like a, a sativa uh, so powerful that you gain the power of flight. <laughs> oh, and also I'd like you to, to soak all of the flour in a PCP. Oh, okay. I've actually changed my mind instead of the mids. I don't think that I think you actually do get arrested if you grow that. You can only grow scary illegal weed. Um, I'd like a scared straight strain. Um, I'd like a strain that makes everyone paranoid. Everyone think all of their, all of their friends hate them. And everyone think that they have cancer the second they get high. <laughs> Okay, for, for people who, who face that problem with smoking weed, they're like, oh, I smoked one, weed one time before I freaked out or it makes, it makes me paranoid or anxious. Smoke more weed. You're never going to get <laughs> mm -hmm. better at smoking weed if you don't get back on that horse. So you can start, you can start out a little bit, start out with just maybe one pull or like, you know, just a little, little vape or something like that. But like, you're never going to get, you're never going to get less scared of smoking weed unless you smoke weed every day. The only day. way out is through yeah. a giant weed cloud. That you inhale until you pass out. The worst thing that could happen, the worst thing, okay, is that it awakens the Latin schizophrenia that is in your family genetic history, and you kill your roommates, and you go to hell, and you're high the entire time. <laughs> uh, along those lines, is there anything lower than mids? Are there lows? Swag. Make mine Ditch lows. weed. Yeah. Okay. I have no, I, I, I'm a weed pussy at this point. I need the the... Whatever, whatever gets me the same effect as one two point five milligram weed mint. Those are rookie numbers, Chris. I know. I know. bump those up. I I would give anything to like be a weed guy. Oh, and shout Seems outs to the uh, yeah. shout outs to the uh, the Chapo fan from Boston who came to New York and brought me a pack of Big Poppy Sweet Slugger pre rolled blunts. Big Poppy is no stranger to the power of cannabis. It's helped him greatly throughout his <laughs> career. And he is him and Team Big Poppy has selected the finest flower cannabis experience for you to enjoy. And Shit. I got to say, even as a New Yorker, I got to give it up to Big Poppy and his wonderful blunts. <laughs> Shout out to that interstate drug trafficker, the uncaptured felon <laughs> who is responsible for dozens of deaths from marijuana psychosis. Uh, all right. Next question. This is from Mika W., Hey guys, um, I've been shunned by several different resistance blue check lib friends that I have um, for listening to you guys because they say that you guys are the podcast that says the R slur all the time. <laughs> and I don't understand why that is something that I've heard on several different occasions from several different resistance individuals. And I was just wondering if you guys had any commentary on that. And because why is that happening? I just don't understand. 
Well, we used to say it, <laughs> yeah, and then we stopped, and it sounds like there was no point in stopping. Seriously, <laughs> what is what what is the incentive structure supposed to be here? I think the last time we even said it was uh, the Rain Over Me episode, like five years ago now. Obama was president. Oh, the bungler was in charge for Christ's sake. If they're still out there calling for it, we might as well get our money's worth, honestly. Yeah, yeah we should yeah. better better to it. be hanged for a sheep than a lamb. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's kind of my attitude about that. Yeah. But uh, to the caller's question, uh, look, uh, 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 truth is the only defense against libel. So, I mean, if your resistance blue check lib friends uh, associate us as the show that says the R word, yeah, they're talking about Chapo Mark One. Uh, we have stopped doing that um, because, you know, I guess I just thought it wasn't. It wasn't a hill that I particularly felt, uh, you know, um, any great need to die on. But like, if this is the way it's going to go, we're bringing it back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, was, I, I still say it in the group DM. I still right, say it in my course. personal life. But it used to be a much more t- t- like anti TOS thing. It seems to people seem to have calmed down about that. You really could get banned a lot for it uh, back in those times. I will. I I, I will both defend the wor- word on just um, linguistic standpoints. I mean moron idiot those were medical conditions i went to um our slur school briefly <laughs> as a child you know I, I i've never used that as a defense i i don't i i don't like pulling out you know my identity things and being like oh this is why i can say this but it's true <laughs> i wasn't bite the teacher that word <laughs> but i was that word <laughs> But you know, uh, it really sounds. It really sounds like it. Maybe, maybe we should uh, break the glass, <laughs> break in case of emergency. But I guess my snappy comeback to stupid questions on this is: uh, what makes you more morally abominable? Um, using a, a, a churlish and adolescent, uh, you know, insult, uh, referring to you know uh, people of the, the different dumbasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, or uh, as your blue check lib friends, I'm failing to support universal health care. Done. Yeah. Next question? Yeah. All right, here we go. President-elect Wade is filling out his cabinet, and you're up for a position. What job do you want, and how will you use it to deliver the funniest possible outcome? All right, President Wade is going to staff his cabinet with us. Well, thank you for acknowledging that I am the only one here who could <laughs> get the organizational capacity <laughs> together to actually do something like that. Uh, Donald Trump was president. I don't know if that job is really what he thinks it is. I think he think the job he's thinking of is maybe like chief of staff. The president could be literally anyone at this point. But let's yes, let's say we're talking right. about like an old fashioned type of president who actually like can read. All right. I think my position's obvious. I'm secretary of state. <laughs> I was I was gonna say Secretary of Defense, you know. No, no I think I think I, I I'm a diplomat first and foremost. I'm, but you know how to fight though. I haven't trained in so long, <laughs> and I don't know. I'm probably could get beat up by a lot of our listeners now, <laughs> and I really don't like to think that that it's true. I think that I have a diplomatic personality, despite what people may think. I'm I'm friends with all types of people. Uh, be they creeds, genders, races, or um, even amount of eyes that they have. <laughs> too many or too, too few. Um, I think that um, the funny outcome I could deliver is a multipolar world of cooperation, um, bringing back the thing where um, the space station is Russian, Indian, American, Chinese, doing those experiments where we're like, what happens to old people when you put them in zero gravity? <laughs> and 
generally making teachers on space shuttles. Yeah, yeah. I'll putting teachers on space shuttles so we don't waste astronauts. <laughs> um, I really think I could deliver the funniest outcome, which is a world without conflict. <laughs> well, I mean, you would uh, you would lower the tension with Russia. Like we'd start buying uh, their natural gas and uh, oil, uh, and they would give us their sables. Imagine that sables <laughs> in America. Let's see. What would my what would my cabinet position be? I mean, like, look, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense. I mean, is there, are there the other any other marquee positions? Press secretary. So you press can, secretary. Here's how I would I would okay. you. So you can yell at journalists all day. Uh, that would drive me crazy, though. I mean, I would be press secretary, and like my first act as press secretary would be to abolish the White House press corps because there's really like there's no news. It being is made pretty there. ridiculous. That or they like, hang or if you want. Day. To come to a press conference and be like, blah, 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 like, it's on New York Times right here, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Peter Doocy, Fox News. It's like, uh, like uh, you will have an electrified dog collar around <laughs> you that I can use to administer a severe shock to you for any reason at any time. I could see you running the White House press corps kind of like uh, Kevin Spacey does in LA Confidential. <laughs> <laughs> you get $40 to give leaks to, <laughs> to whoever. Yeah, he's like, who's my Danny DeVito? They'd be like, you know, Martha, Rab Martha Raditz is tripping the light fantastic with goofballs. Let's, <laughs> let's arrest her and get it on the cover of Newsweek. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I guess uh, press secretary, and I would just use it to, to to harshly discipline journalists who like they they need to be they need to be so bad. Any thoughts for you, Matt? I don't know. Like, uh, I think it'd be. I mean, if you're talking about funny, like a treasury secretary would be funny because I don't understand or know anything about money or how it works <sighs> or anything like that. <laughs> yes, so I could just like nod at everyone, like, <laughs> get very uh, nervous, and like cry during briefings. <laughs> When they ask me questions, like you get you get the the, the cabinet meeting and they're like, uh, where, where are we going with the where 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 are we going with with the with the debentures or I don't know I I, I don't know where we're, I don't know I could I could be treasury secretary and then I could like finally figure out how to pay taxes maybe someone could help me with that uh, Matt what about director of the FBI you could be like J Edgar Hoover you could get all the the dirt I mean on it would be very funny mail. to yeah just. Yeah, break into any of everyone's house. I mean, the thing is, you don't need to do that anymore. Like, everything is... The NSA could just look at your phone and have everything in your life in it. Like, the black bag job has been rendered obsolete. I re it really made me nervous thinking about the Bavarian Treasury Secretary. <laughs> it really just upset me a lot. I also, uh, just in terms of, of doing things that I think would personally be funny, and because it would irritate all both parties mutually, uh, I would like to appoint Felix... Specifically, the ambassador to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> Saudi well, Arabia. Well, Saudi Arabia and Israel at the same time yes. because they signed the Abraham Accords. <laughs> yes, I think I think I would surprise everyone with my friend making ability. I think that's the thing is that everybody would go and be like, "Wow, this is going to be a disaster," and then. Two years later, you're just like, we love this, this man. We love him. He is the most honorable Jewish person we've ever seen. Yeah. Okay. You know what? The thing is, a lot of people have falling, they have fallings out with their friends. I have the reverse. People hate me, but then they get to know me. And then they've transformed into friends. Just so long as you can get a citizenship at the line. <laughs> I, I can Why doesn't China build the line? Seriously. They can actually do it. They're fucking up. Yeah. They're, they're building ports and shit in like, uh, in, in like Indonesia. Give me the fucking line. Yeah. Just take the... Just turn the top of the uh, Great Wall into one giant city. <laughs> into a mall. Yeah, giant. The Great Wall of China. The mall. Yes, yes. The yes mall that's a great idea. Yeah. Did you see the thing where the Saudis like they just showed off like 
it it looked like the like the beams on a dock. There were just like it was just like half a kilometer of like wooden beams, and they're like, "Look, we're already building the line." They also dug a hole. I saw them dig a hole in the desert. It's gonna be wild if they actually get that thing done. <laughs> they are. That's never going to happen. That is not. That's, uh, that is maybe the least. That is that is on. That's in the. It's like with everything else. It's everything Musk has ever promised. It's 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 the thing to dangle in front of you to think. Yeah, no. We well, there's a techno future where we solve everything. And like, no, incorrect. Uh, next question. Yeah. All right. Here we go. I think you guys are hilarious, but here's a serious question. Uh, I think the Gen Z right is substantially more evil than the boomers or the millennials. Um, can you seriously uh, tell us how you feel about that generation of right-wingers? Seems like they're going to be a big problem. What do you think? Um, I agree with you that uh, it, it's, it, is, uh, it is nauseating and disturbing to see how many of them are basically open Nazi cartoon pedophiles, and they seem to have made themselves into that. But I disagree with you that they're... They may be like more repellent in some ways, but I don't think they're scarier because they're all weak babies. They, they have no access to <laughs> anything. They live with their parents. They have no prospects for employment. Uh, they can't do anything. I mean, but that is like that's a generalized phenomenon, and that that is going to be the real interesting thing about politics in the future is how, how do people who have been from like birth basically been acculturated into learned helplessness uh supposed to participate in in like any kind of collective endeavor and i don't know i think the thing that is closest to you and easiest to relate just in terms of shared cultural uh affinities and understanding is always going to seem the scariest but i just i i will never see like any nascent online movement as scary as like james baker <laughs> i feel like uh we've seen a lot of the scariest things that could happen already i think also, young people are working at a severe disadvantage. Um, if they have never known really a life without phones, then it is impossible to create any type of mass movement or any type of solidarity. I, I think it's maybe scarier that uh, that is also true of younger left-wing people, that um, nothing, as long, as long as human interaction exists in its current form, I don't think anything that substantial can be accomplished. Next question. Uh, here's one I think mostly for Will. Hey guys, loved the Eyes Wide Shut episode. And ever since I've been wondering, why do you think Stanley Kubrick left the U.S. in 1961 never to return? It's one of the great film mysteries, and I know you're all film heads. Thank you. Okay, good. thanks for the question. Um, of what I've read, I mean, like, I'm not speculating on this. This is just what, what I've read, because I remember in college I wrote a paper on Dr. Strangelove. What I read is that the copious research he did into the logic of mutually assured destruction and like sort of a nuclear brinksmanship during the Cold War in, in, you know, in, in, in preparation for making this movie uh, freaked him out so much that uh, he never, never went to America again. He also hated flying. But yes, Dr. Strange, like, you know, he never, never, he left America and never returned in 1961. I can only tell you what I've read, and it's that his research in the course of Dr. Strangelove uh, freaked him the fuck out. <laughs> what? He thought England was going to be okay if there was <laughs> yeah, a nuclear I know, war? It doesn't quite make sense. They'd be the first to go. <laughs> they would be the first to go. All right. Next one. I think this one's more for Matt. 
Hi, this is Ben in Portugal. Not long ago, I heard Matt refer to uh, the British victory at Trafalgar as one of history's greatest L's. Um, I'm interested to know what other historical events that are publicly seen as W's are secretly L's in your opinions. Thanks, guys. Literally everything that your people celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) Every single milestone in English history where they've won something was civilizational uh, and, and species L because you're the reptilian demon archons of earth. That's the answer. Uh, winning world war one in L for humanity. That's, very, uh, that's true. And who did that? Fucking limies. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. The Kaiser was a gentleman. <laughs> we all, we were so close to just having all the fucking Croatian, Slovakia, Czechia. We were, we, they were all one place. We didn't have to learn the difference. And suddenly, <laughs> there are 70 places like that, and they all hate each other. You, Felix, you've been expressing your fondness for the Austro-Hungarian Empire recently. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> they had one of the only hot women <laughs> in that period of time. Her name, her nickname was Cece. She was known as Empress Elizabeth, and she had a body that was insane. <laughs> Empress Elizabeth made Franz Joseph a member of the Dead Wife Club, but he didn't kill her. She was killed by the most evil force in history, an anarchist. He saw this smoking hot woman and was like, I have to kill her. Her body's too good. Um, her dumbass fucking assistant took the file that he stabbed her with out of her corset. If she kept it in, she'd be alive. Oh, the corset would have held everything together. Yeah, yeah, the corset was holding everything together. She could have lived. She could have passed down her secrets of her fucking ridiculous body and there could have been hot women for everyone. Everyone could have learned her secrets, but no... That guy fucked it up for everyone. Then we had World War I because of the the hot chick deficit in Europe. That was it. No one had anything to look forward to. No one had anything to be happy about. They had one hot woman for the entire continent, and this fucking idiot killed her. <laughs> That's the biggest L in history is the assassination of uh, Cece, the most beautiful woman of all time. A big, The biggest loss for humanity. All right, next question. This is from Dara B. Hey, guys. So my question is, do you think Elden Ring was a step back for the FromSoft formula? The open world reduces the opportunities for Fromm's trademark and counter design, as well as necessitating reuse of dungeons and boss content, which dilutes its impact. This is a question for Matt. Matt, take it away. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Uh, could I get subtitles for that? <laughs> I, I heard dungeons, and I it sounds like something I could answer, but I they didn't. reuse dungeons. He says, he says the use of uh, like like boss fights and dungeons in Elden Ring uh, is repetitive, and um, like the open world format takes away from the um, like the, the the essential the encounter design. the essential encounter design of, of FromSoft games like Bloodborne or Dark Souls. No, I completely agree with that. I think it is better to have a smaller world that is in- interconnected by shortcuts and things like that. That's a more interesting design to me. I think Elden Ring was incredibly ambitious and an amazing game, best game that uh, came out last year, the best game in a while. But I certainly prefer the design of previous Souls games. Um, I would have preferred to see them try something like Sekiro again. I hope they do something like that in their future. 
and yes, I did find the repetition of bosses um, kind of tiring at some point. Great. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. This is from Sam. Hello, Chapo Trap House. My name is Sam, and uh, I was just curious. Do you guys believe in aliens? Do you believe they've ever been to Earth? Do you have an explanation for the Fermi paradox that you like? Uh, I'm a big fan. Thanks for taking questions. I, I like you know this is this is an interesting question to me because to me, do does intelligent life exist elsewhere in the universe, or like do are aliens real? Have they interacted with humanity? Have they visited Earth? Have they? transcended the great distances of the abyss of space to interact with our civilization in some way that we're not aware of or, you know, 2001 style jump-started our evolution into, you know, conscious, self-aware beings. To me, the question, the question do aliens exist, is basically the same question is, as does God exist? And I have to take a kind of, like, agnostic position on it because I think it's like, look, if you think about the sheer size of the universe... It would be like, you know, when you're playing a game of uh, a game of dice on a board that big and a scale of time as vast as the universe, you're going to roll the same number in a row a billion times straight, which would which would imply that there is not just intelligent life in the universe or even our galaxy, but probably millions or billions of intelligent species and civilizations, but that the sheer distance between them is so great that the possibility of contact between them is essentially impossible, given, given what we know of technology. And you could always say, well, then, like, it's always theoretically possible that an alien civilization could have solved that problem. I mean, it, similar to the question of does God exist or does God not exist, I think both answers to that question, yes, aliens exist, and no, they don't, are equally terrifying. Because if it doesn't exist, then, like, life only exists on this planet and only for a little while. That's disturbing, but it's also kind of freeing in a certain way. That's what I liked about that movie Ad Astra, because it was like the first sci-fi movie to posit that like hint at the possibility of alien contact. But like the point of the movie is that they're out there and they find nothing. And that's what drove them insane, that it's only us. The prospect of intelligent life existing elsewhere in the universe, if it does exist, that's also frightening. Cue up the three body problem, the dark forest conception of the universe that like, you know, any interaction between competing civilizations will, if you look at our own civilization, be necessarily hostile and lead to some sort of genocide or massive resource extraction and enslavement. So, I mean, like, that, that's scary. I'd like to believe that aliens have contacted this planet in some way. Um, but, you know, like, I just... I, it's, it's just... It, to me, it's an interesting, like, metaphorical, artistic query. But, like, it's not one that um, troubles me a great... It, it troubles me and not troubles me in equal amounts and like you know the equally balanced that whether they exist or not uh, i think aliens exist i don't think that they are from other planets though uh, i think they're uh from either other dimensions time they honestly i think aliens might be uh earthlings uh from the future i always i think that one's on That's the table yeah yeah uh, but i just i i i i think there is uh there are technical bare there are like actual physical restraints on the ability to travel the distances of space. So I don't think that we're getting anybody from another planet, but I think that there is, I don't think we have any idea because we can't observe it, how permeable uh, the, the borders between worlds are. So I'd say that's more likely to be where they're coming from. And that's what I mean that it's like the same, it's the same thing about do you believe her God or not? Because like we as a society, we as a civilization, it is the same myth or hope of 
something outside the boundaries of our physical reality and our even our lives and deaths that holds the hope of either transcendence for us or um, obliteration or punishment. And like that can only come from something that is necessarily like outside the bounds of like our logic and at the, the, this world and its its rules and its history. I think that um, I mean I tend to agree with Matt here. Uh, I think we we lack the units of measurement, understanding, and possibly actual physical or mental senses to fully understand the universe uh, distance in relation to ourselves. I would be shocked if we have even a five percent comprehension of what is out there, life form-wise, intelligence-wise, anything like that. I think it very possibly could be some weird time thing that goes into the type of math with parentheses and the long F, <laughs> where it's far beyond my understanding, and it turns out they don't even understand it that well either. I, I, if we are the only thing like us, then if I'm using the 538 or New York Times election meter, it goes to 90% towards Abrahamic religions being true. <laughs> you kind of have to give it up. Yeah, to, like, yeah. If we're the only thing, then it's like, okay, then I like God's probably real, <laughs> you know? So it's exciting. It's kind of one or the other it's or a, both. It could be yeah, both. It's, Maybe it's, God it's, made aliens. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Honestly, it's, 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 it's an interesting philosophical and, and religious area of ponder. But I think practically like, does God exist or not? It doesn't have much bearing on your, on your life. But, yeah. it's a, but it's, that doesn't mean it's not worth it to consider or think about. You should still be a good person, you know, whether God exists or not. Act like he's there. Act like he's going to give you that arc, you know, and whether aliens exist or not, don't litter. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it? Yeah, because when you litter, you're fucking on the planet. They're not going to visit. Matt, like that, uh, the Dan Aykroyd, Larry King thing. Yeah, was, <laughs> after 9-11, they were like, no way, we can't touch those humans. <laughs> no, yeah, Dan Aykroyd said, uh, did Larry King asked him, he's like, do you think the aliens are going to visit us? And he was like, I'm very pessimistic, especially after 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Huge fan of the show and huge fan of Felix's thoughts on animals. I'd like to hear specifically uh, some of Felix's thoughts about bears, his favorite type of bears, what he thinks bears get up to when no one is looking, that kind of thing. Cheers. That was from Timothy S. And it sounds like New Zealand. Thank you, Timothy. I, I, I love the brown bear, I think, the or the grizzly bear, rather. I think they have... Um, the most developed sense of humor out of all the bears. The thing that I like about bears is that I think in some ways they're more person-like than a lot of apes. Mm -hmm. I, yes. They're more guy than dog, yes. really. They fool you into thinking that they're dog-like <laughs> with their ears, but they're actually very guy-like. It's like the guy, it's like a guy got turned into a dog by like a wizard. Exactly. Yeah. I think that um, we see a little bit of what they do to amuse themselves um, when the, the video of the bear walking by the school bus imitating yes. a person's stupid walk. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think there's a lot of humor in the bear world, clearly. And I did see something the other day. Um, mind you, this was from one of those accounts that's called like Dope Facts. <laughs> uh, so who knows how true this is. But it said that bears um they spend a lot of time looking out into the distance just at things that that serves no function they're not looking for food they're not scouting for predators they just think it looks good <laughs> i i think they do a lot of things that 
maybe people would do if we didn't have to wear clothes and we could essentially turn our bodies off for a large part of the year. <laughs> Did you see that that bear who had like a piece of wood and he was just doing nunchuck shit with it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no. He's like dope martial arts moves. I think they have a lot of amusement and understanding of objects and fun beyond what we've previously thought. I mean, I think... I think uh, sables made me think that a lot of uh, musalids, in fact, uh, and why not bears? They're so much bigger, therefore their brains are bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember when we saw that panda do a somersault in front of us at the Atlanta Zoo? Yeah, that, that was really good. Oh, that rock! I just like my question about pandas is like, how do they get enough calories to like continue their lives just munching bamboo all day? Like, that if they can barely digest. Like, how much bamboo do you have to eat to like stay alive as a panda? It's got to be a lot, right? Just housing bamboo all day, very inefficient. Well, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna be a homer here. I know the question was directed to Felix. I'm gonna be a homer and say my my favorite kind of bear is the humble northeastern black bear because there's never been a recorded uh, attack on a human by a black bear. Unless you fuck with one of their cubs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, they're dangerous, but, like, they don't they don't routinely kill and eat people like brown bears do. <laughs> I would say there's no bad bear. Yeah, no, they're all good. They're bears all really right. good. They're they all, all top, bears. top Even the ones who kill people all the time. In fact, honestly, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like, oh, black bears don't kill people. It's like, maybe they should. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they should, like, get their head in the game. You put a fucking... You you went to their house yeah. and were like, well, we're, we're, we're making it so we can drive our Subarus through here. You built a highway in the middle of their house, and you, you're like, oh, they're bad because they've killed uh, 13 of us over a century. <laughs> like, fuck off. Most of, the guy, most of the guys that bears kill anyway, it seems to be, like, just insane guys who, like, you know, they existed pre-treatment for the insane syndromes. <laughs> and, uh, and we're like, oh, God told me to, like, go to a bear's house and, like, molest them because they like me. God told me I speak bears languages and they the bears always tolerate those guys for two years. And then they're like, fuck off, like, go away. Oh, by the way, if any listeners of our show um, are, are, are Russian, could you t- could you let us know about warging powers? Yeah, because like I am fascinated by the number of Russians I see on the Internet who have a full grown grizzly bear living in their house. Like talk about bears as guys. They're on the couch together. The fucking carpet stacked up to the wall behind them. They love that shit too. They're driving a car with a bear in the passenger seat. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and it's I'm sorry, it is only Russians yeah, that have only. this ability. Yeah. yeah. Is it is it is it the cold? Like what like what is it that you can commune well, with these remember ma- magisterial the, creatures? You gotta remember the first men they made a deal with the children of the forest. <laughs> yeah. It is they seem to um they don't get treadwelled as much, the Russians. <laughs> Not at all. And if they do, it's because they like they had an argument in the bear language. <laughs> it's a little legitimate grievance. Yeah. It, you know, the same reasons that Russians kill each other. Russian humans kill each other. <laughs> all right. I got just a few more of these uh, for this session. Uh, this is from an account called... Uh, schizophrenic reads thank you i'm really curious as to why there is so little political violence in the united states and i guess do you think it will remain this way and if it won't what do you think will like lead off that type of event i know abe was just killed in japan but these type of incidents seem few and far between at least compared to where we were you know, in the 1960s. Well, I mean, we just got a hammer time in San Francisco, <laughs> so maybe things are changing. We'll see. I think this is a very interesting question because America as a country is like comparable to other like, you know, I don't know, developed G8 nations is insanely violent. 
Like, yes, <laughs> we are like insanely violent as a country. But the targets of that violence are never like, you know, like, you know, we shoot up like kindergartners, not health insurance boardrooms. You know what I mean? And I mean, I don't know, like I like what would account for it? I mean, I, I think it's like there there's a you know, there's a lot of angry, unstable people in this country with access to guns more than like pretty much anywhere else in the world. But at the same time, I just think it's like the targets of rage are always intimate. So, yeah, yes, exactly. Like it, it is never like wedded to any kind of like uh, like, a, like an ideological goal or project. I mean, like, sure, like like mass shootings by like, you know, racist people who like blow up a synagogue or shoot Muslims or whatever. Like, I mean, that, that's what we do get. I mean, like, that's, I think, probably the most common form of political violence in this country. But you're right. Like in the 70s, there were like bombs going off in this country every fucking day. The thing is, they didn't kill that many people. But it was still going on. Um, and I guess like I just maybe it's too easy an answer, but I think it's like I think most people's lives in America are too comfortable and nice and people still have too much to lose. And the people who don't, uh, the specific their their trauma and their rage, their frustration are a personalized narrative that requires a personal, intimate, violent solution. The, the abstractions of politics just don't cut it now. The, the hammer guy in San Francisco who has got mad that he can't jack off Black Adams or whatever the fuck <laughs> points to the fact that this is changing a little bit and people are maybe starting to weld uh, these like political figures to their specific uh, array of grievances. Uh, but, you know, that's only going to result in them getting more security. Uh, and so I, I don't think it's going to result in more violence because these are like the, the, the least uh, with it together people and they're going to be therefore not much uh, they're not going to they're going to be made short work of by like the Blackwater psychos who are going to just be a, a permanent human moat between us and anybody with political power I think maybe one reason why we don't have an Abe type thing is it's not for a lack of murderers it's for a deluge of murderers mm -hmm. the average murderer in America is less determined dumber and uh, just shittier at it than, say, a murderer in Japan. That's someone who really wanted to do it. Well, there's not that many murders in Japan. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you really have to, <laughs> yeah. you really got to want to do it. And I also, I think that obviously it's condition, it's conditions, ease of life. And I think that will obviously change if things get significantly worse. But I do think a lot of it is delusion, self-delusion. Mm -hmm. I think that Americans are more likely, even when they they feel like there's no way out of their lives and they just want to drag people down to hell with them, why do they end up killing people who are pretty much in the exact same spot as they are? It's the same reason that someone who um, could easily improve their life a lot uh, by doing a three or four things uh, will not do it past a certain age. If I could have done this the entire time, then that means I wasted my life. So I'm just not going to do it. I, I think it's the same pattern of thinking. And I mean, I, I, I can intuit from the caller's uh, question is that like it's not so much a question of like because I mean there is political violence in this country at, as, as I laid out. Like you know, like someone who walks into a supermarket in a black neighborhood and kills like 13 senior citizens. Like that's a political act, and it's motivated by you know political ideology. I think the question is, why isn't there more left-wing terrorist or terrorism in this country or violence? And I think it comes down to is that there is a gap in the two political orientations that, in which one side has a vastly larger population of violent idiots. Next question? Let's go. Hell 
Hello, Chapos. I'll get right to the point. There's this guy I've been talking to. We butt heads. He's the strong, silent type. But I can't tell if that's masculinity hiding his feelings or if there's, like, something in the way. And if I may bend the rules a little bit, I know how much you love that. But is Amber in this episode, or are you all just talking over her again? I'll take my answer off the air. Okay. Okay. I gotta say. I gotta, I gotta say. Cheers to this caller, because that is one of the best Mark Hamill Joker impressions I've ever... That, 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 that caller may have been Mark Hamill, for all I know. Um, but, I mean, like, to, to his question, I'm, I'm assuming this is the Joker talking about Batman, <laughs> who's a strong, silent like. type, who he's, like, he's into... And I like that idea. And like, you know, uh, Mr. J, Mr. J, my uh, my advice to you would be like, just keep committing funny crimes. You know, you're going to keep getting the attention of this strong silent type. And like, you know, you know, just build off that, build on your shared love of him, of you doing crimes and him stopping you from doing crimes. It's 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 flirtation. You know, that's what flirtation is like. It's the free song. It's the, the, the spark that keeps things interesting. You know, I had a girl I was pursuing once and she blocked me on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, Hotmail, ProtonMail, <laughs> uh, Regular Mail, uh, WeChat, Weibo, and uh, Bebo. But she would correspond with me and argue with me vociferously through messages sent by pigeon <laughs> and i brought this up to somebody once a wiser more experienced friend and i think i said i think it's over between us and he said she wouldn't be arguing with you if she thought it was over women never do that and i think it's the same with men with 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 guys with you know where one guy's a clown who knows he's gay the other guy doesn't know he's gay he wouldn't be he wouldn't be trying to capture you you know, when he when he finds the Riddler, he's like, I'm not doing your riddle. Fuck off. He's done with him. But when you do when you do a scary crime, he's like, oh, I got to go get yes. scared. No, he be, still likes you. Be worried when Batman doesn't show up. Yeah. Next time you kidnap Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. You know, and, the, you know, and by the way, like, you don't need to worry about it. Batman slash Bruce Wayne is definitely gay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's do like two more. OK, this is from Riley B. Hey, Chapo bros. What do you guys think is the funniest thing that has ever happened? Okay, th this, this is an easy one for me. The funniest thing that has ever happened in human history that will certainly not be topped in my lifetime is Donald Trump becoming president of the United States. The fact that Donald Trump was, was and for, will forever be the 45th president of the United States of America is the funniest thing that's ever happened, in my opinion. And there's just so many nesting subsidiary funny things inside that i mean that are inextricably linked to it it's very hard to pick something else i think it has to be that just because there's so many funny things would not have happened without that if we're if we're going just one single thing that happened in and of itself maybe hillary fainting on 9-11 that's up there <laughs> that's pretty good uh, when trump got covid that's a great singular thing Something that always made me laugh a lot to the point of tears when I first heard about it. Um, I'm fucking up the exact phrase, but it's the admiral who cried during World War II because he thought high command was being mean to him. Admiral Halsey. 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 Yeah. And it was. <laughs> what was the exact quote? Yeah. So like, so they sent they sent him this uh, they sent him this coded transmission, and the, in order to defeat a uh, code breaking from the Japanese, uh, the code messages were bracketed with uh lorne ipsum just uh, gibberish. gibberish just words 
to, to, to mask it so that they couldn't like pull a, a pattern out of the language. And so the end, the message uh, uh, ended with like, uh, they were saying like, it was, it was an order to, for him to do something. And, the, and then it ended with like, uh, the world stands waiting. And, it's, and, he, and it was read off by the clerk who usually doesn't read the, the things off the end because it felt like it flowed into the sentence. And so he heard it and he thought they were being like mean and sarcastic <laughs> to him that he wasn't moving fast enough. And he just broke down in tears and went to his room <laughs> in the middle of the Battle of Midway. <laughs> Those are always anything about like old military commanders who were like queenie and crying all the time always kills me. MacArthur puking after yeah. getting yelled at by FDR. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, those those really get me. That photo of Eisenhower sitting on a bench, cross-legged, looking fruity as hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Donald Trump electing. It's just the perfect punchline. Yeah. It's, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's the, the, the setup, the historical yeah. equivalent of what do you call that? The aristocrats. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump is president. That's the aristocrats for the entire American project. Mm -hmm. yeah. It is all led to that moment, and we'll never ever get over it. Yep, can't happen. <laughs> it's just. Oh man! All right, one last one. Uh, always, people always like to ask a little inside baseball question. This one is from Cy P. Hi, this is Cy from Virginia. I love the Chapo Trap House, and I want to ask all of the inside baseball questions. What's the prep like for this show? Sometimes it seems like you just get on stage and make up a show from nothing, but you're doing a show. So clearly, prep has occurred. What's that like? Do you guys have any rules with each other about what you always or never do? Thank you. I will go back to being autistic now. <laughs> well, to answer your question, it's just a pill. <laughs> uh, I mean, is he talking about the live shows or just a regular show? I think just all, all of it. I mean, okay, I well, mostly wanted to include this for wants, the wants and can'ts question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, most of the, I mean, there is prep, prep, but it is mostly done by Will. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we don't. Me and Felix really don't do anything. It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. The the last time I did like any prep for it was last tour. There was a segment and like a script I wrote out, but I haven't done anything like that this tour. I would say um, sometimes I write something like two days before, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I literally just do nothing. Most of the time, <laughs> I just show up. Well, I mean, like. I, I certainly don't resent the fact that Matt and Felix don't prepare because I really think that the best parts of the show are like what, what what I can do is kind of like the guy who takes the ball up the court and like sort of sets the pace, runs the offense, whatever, whatever, whatever inside baseball metaphor you want to say is I think we get the best material when I get genuinely like off the cuff reactions from Matt and Felix. So like the less they know going into a show will lead to a better outcome because I want their authentic reactions in the moment rather than like you know the, anything that they've prepared for and you know like and also i gotta say shout out to our research assistant justin who we just hired he's been helping me uh collate information you know just create like a sort of uh, a, a skeleton for the show and i just think like there, there's things i use and i don't use but like i want to i, I want to prepare just enough that gives us all the freedom to be completely off the cuff and go chase any direction we'd like to go and the thing is i do probably more preparation for the live shows, probably like a, a lot more preparation for the live shows because, you know, there really is no safety net. You can't just pause or like, you know, do, retake something and, like, you know, and people have paid money to, to, to see a show. So I really don't want there to be any, any, any lulls or, or, or dead air or anything that's just like that doesn't land. Um, but yeah, like for the podcast, like, I mean, I think the enduring appeal of the show is that we don't try very hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think we really have do's and don'ts. I think because we all at this point know 
like what we're interested in and aren't. Uh, I think one thing we all understand is that there's stuff that we find funny and maybe would like to make fun of or talk about, but if it involves people who uh, are like below a certain level of notoriety, yeah, yeah, uh, it it we it it pains us, but we just it feels like it's 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 on balance not worth it to uh to call attention to them no free clout here yeah. and also well, like, we know that because we were recipients of so much <laughs> free clout yeah. above, oh my above, God. above us <laughs> thank yeah. you yeah. Please, sir, may I have some more well there are i mean there were ten thousand dollar articles written mm-hmm. about us articles that were worth an extra ten thousand dollars a month in 2016 mm-hmm. yeah and like i guess like the other thing the other thing i like uh sort of um consciously eschew doing is ever um like I mean, we did it like very early on in the show because i thought it was so novel and i was kind of excited by it but like i haven't for a long time and i consciously try to avoid talking about people who like criticize the show or bringing up our own press good or bad you know because i think that's kind of you know solipsistic and a little bit navel gazing and it's just like i, I just think like you know you just you, you you can't drink you can't drink too much of your own cool you can't get high off your own supply yeah yeah it it rings of um unless you have something like amazing and uh new for it which like you know sometimes there is i think for the most part like covering your own coverage of yourself is just it's the same genre of people who retweet every compliment about their new article. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just gives yeah. me the same feeling. Um, but hey, I, this would be a perfect time to announce we are we are rolling out in in, in Q, Q1 2023 a new $1,000 a month Patreon tier in which you can hear us talk about they <laughs> 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 talk about internet weirdo just the most just, just all the all the creeps and freaks that we love to talk about in private but would never bring up on the show because it isn't worth giving attention to these people but if you subscribe for thousand dollars a month you'll hear the forbidden riffs i've fantasized about as a live show i i don't know if this would be technically possible but doing a the forbidden riffs live show where you, it's like in the the venue is like inside a Faraday cage. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. puts their phones in a bag. Everybody puts their phones. Everybody signs an NDA, an NDA uh, with very strict re- repercussions. Uh, yeah, and and do just all all, all the off mic riffs. Uh, and like in you a know, place the, where where and yes, the tickets would cost a thousand dollars. And like again, yeah. like and I I need, I need to be clear here. Like this is only because as satisfying as it would be to make fun of certain people, these people. Like again, we should know their lifeblood is attention from people like us, mm-hmm. good or bad. Yes. And in fact, bad is even better. So I'm not trying to fucking like uh, start beefs or argue with anyone because that shit is free clout, and I'm not giving it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first like, if we ever had to like raise like a hundred thousand dollars in a day, <laughs> <laughs> like the the Forbidden Riffs episode, like the. The live show is a great idea. Uh, all right, what do you guys think? Should we wrap it there? Or do uh, one more like kind of? Uh, Let's do one more question. Yeah, okay, this one. This one's a little like. Um, it's nice. It's a nice one. Hey boys, Ed here, huge fan of the show. My question is: as a relatively new father, what cultural products outside of Barney should I be exposing my kid to? And are there any sort <laughs> of physical or mental conditioning exercises you recommend to raise? you know, sort of a second generation gray wolf. Let me know. Thanks. I don't know. Just think back to my childhood. Uh, I just think, you know, I mean, maybe this is, this is cliche, but I think, um, uh, reading to reading to kids at any age is, is a very good thing. Um, you know, like, like it, you know, as they get older, it's just like, you know, just being around books, like he- hearing words spoken in like the form of a story. That's not just like being told to do something or from your parents is like, I think it, it it, it builds not just uh, a familiarity with books and, and, and literacy, but also I think it um, 
expands your imagination, which I think is the most important thing about growing up or like becoming a, a, like a, a real human being. Some of my fondest childhood memories are the same things. And it wasn't even anything super. It, the classics, uh, Treasure Island. The Hardy Do- Boys. Dr. Doctor Doolittle. Do- 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 I mean, oh, Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. I was a big fan of the Redwall books. Oh, the Redwall books are great, yes. Uh, just like, you know what the Redwall books have that Matt was talking about positively about the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire books? Copious descriptions of wonderful food. <laughs> yes, yes. Of acorn soups <laughs> and, and blackberry scones. Yes, yes. Uh, I would just make sure that the kids got a very early exposure to hard R 80s and 90s action films like I did. <laughs> Because uh, they made help me become the man, the, the 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 absolutely successful man I am today. So that's that is not negotiable. That has to happen. I think as far as children's books, um, one of the goats, Richard Scary. Yes, <laughs> Richard Scary. Not only great lessons. You know, who can forget when Huckle buys party food? <laughs> teaches you that there's regular food and there's party food. I love that one. Me and my mom, when I was a toddler, we thought that was the funniest shit ever. When I would like, um, you know, she'd be buying regular groceries and I would like put Orangina in the cart, <laughs> that wonderful French soda. And we'd be like, haha, party food. <laughs> that was it, little Joe's, the first little joke between me and my mom. And then um, another great thing about Richard Scary, everyone has a job, everyone has the dignity of work. Mm-hmm. The worm drives the car, <laughs> <laughs> one cat drives the bus. Great illustrations. Um, can't go wrong with that. And you know what? I'm going to echo what Matt said. I saw both Terminator films at a very young age. <laughs> My parents wouldn't let me see Terminator 2. I was allowed to do anything. <laughs> um, because My I parents was, were pretty strict with like media consumption. That's I, what, I had no video games in my house. It wouldn't let me watch rated R movies. I could only watch like a half an hour of TV a day. That's why you're into scary movies now. <laughs> yeah. Because you need, you feel like you need to make up for lost time by watching a movie about a ghoul. <laughs> so, Meanwhile, you know, I don't, I don't have that need. Now, back to my original point, though. I, I really think that like, like raising kids, it's like, you know, you raise a kid today. I don't think you can, I, I think you should be like, like wary about like unrestricted computer time. But I think you should like, you, you can't fight too hard against the fact that like media, the internet, video games, like all that shit, like your kid's going to be exposed to it. And it's going to like, you know, it's going to order the, the processes of their mind in one way or another. And I think like the way to counteract that is by, uh, yeah, exposure to books about reading to your kid. And I truly believe that like the goal of education, like either as schools, as institutions, or you as a parent in like the, the raising of a child, I think you have succeeded at, if at some point before they turn 18, your kid takes it upon themselves to find a real book, a real book for adults, and read it cover to cover on their own because they want to, not because it was assigned to them. A lot of, a lot of the books you, that you get have to read in school are all terrible. They all <laughs> stink. But, you know, it's important. you got to build up those muscles. And I think, like, if you can get your kids to the point where they are seeking out authors and books on their own, they want to read for no reason other than pleasure, that you have succeeded in educating your kid. And that, like, really, whatever they get on the SATs or fucking grades in school really don't matter half as much as that. Great. Should we leave it there? Yeah. 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 Thanks for the questions, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we got, we got hundreds of these. So yeah, we're gonna I transcribed. Be, like we're going to be milking this cow for a while. Hundred questions. So I think we'll we'll probably dip back into this probably before the end of the year. But thank you for all the great questions. And, and by the way, my favorite porn star of all time is Belladonna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thanks for the great tour, everyone. Yes, uh, thank these you. Have been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. They only land in isolated places. They have taken people, I believe. They do have technology. Lord Hill Norton of the 
Uh, British defense staff said uh, that he believed 23 people, 23 different species are coming because they don't want anything to do with us. I don't think we will ever have a formal relationship, a formal contact with any alien species out there, especially after 9-11, when we broke our toys in the sandbox. If they were observing that, goodbye human race. And uh, honestly, I don't think they're a mass threat, but I do believe they're breaking the law. I'm serious. Title 18, 1202, okay. read the Travis Walton story. So how do you arrest them? Uh, that's the thing. The FBI should be on that right away. I don't think they're a mass threat. If you want to save lives in this country, teach people to drive better, remove the cocaine appetite in the United States, and stop people from texting while driving. That's the way to save lives. <laughs> now we're going to try I look to do at this. I look Go at ahead. this through the entertainment filter, Larry. That's why I I'm here. that.